Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. A special episode this week. Um, no reading again um, due to circumstances beyond our control. Um, but what we do have for you is really, really exciting. So this is probably a little bit overdue, right? Uh, yeah, it was kind of only when we decided to do it that we realized we hadn't yet, I'd say. Yeah. So here, some listeners may have heard us mention previously the website this is horror. <laughs> Give you guys a moment to think if maybe you've heard about that before, if maybe we've mentioned it a couple of times. Today, we'll be interviewing Michael Wilson, who is the managing editor and owner of This Is Horror. He's a lifelong horror fan and fiction writer. In addition to his work for This Is Horror, he has over 10 years of freelance journalism, editorial, and digital marketing experience. His freelance journalism includes work for horror magazine Scream and heavy metal magazine Terrorizer. Not to get too far off topic, but speaking of freelance journalism, you remember Matthew McBride? Mm-hmm. Do you know you know what he's up to right now? Dude, he's like interviewing the Bali Nine. <laughs> What's going on with that? That guy <laughs> moved to Bali and we were like, man, he sold the rights to Frank Sinatra and a blender and now he's living on a fucking beach. And instead he's hanging out like in prisons interviewing people who are sentenced to death. For like smuggling drugs. Yeah. It's a little crazy. I thought you were going to say, speaking of terrorizer, because Michael Wilson is terrorizing us by making us record at 7 in the fucking morning. Oh, I, <laughs> that was going to be the next topic, but I just uh, I had to get this McBride. I got to, yeah. yeah I'm, I, I'm praying for his safety. Praying. Mm-hmm. Is, I'm not actually praying, but I hope he's safe. Well, you know, here's the thing with, with McBride. That guy, I think, takes everything pretty easy, like in stride. <laughs> Like, here we are thinking he's in this dangerous situation, and you know he's totally just chilled out. So. Yeah, you're probably right. He's just like, oh, it's no big deal. I might get killed. I might get arrested. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe we'll have him on in the future to talk about his experiences in Bali. Yeah. And our first question will be, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah. What the fuck, man? Did you lose a bet? What? How did that happen? Is it like community service? Did you lose a bet? But we're not here to talk about... Matthew McBride, we're talking, like Livia said, about Michael Wilson. And one thing I'll say about Michael Wilson is, like Livia's mentioned, we're up early in the morning, and it's because Michael is in Japan. <laughs> so I guess if McBride's really in the lurch, we can maybe see if uh, Wilson can go over and, uh, and help him out. He's probably our closest friend, right? Yeah, I, I would have to say that's probably yeah. true. And, and and Bali and Japan are both in the same place, which is somewhere other than here, as far as I'm concerned. So. Right. We'd actually have to physically turn the globe a little bit to see it, which means it's way too far away. Yeah, and Michael Wilson can probably just jump on a bus and head to Bali. <laughs> I'm sure that's Our first question for Michael Wilson. How far is it from you to Bali? Yeah. How many buses would it take? Or I guess the first question would be, Japan's not an island, right? <laughs> Dude, listen, hold on a second, though. Buses in Japan. Okay, so here's the thing. You know where I'm going with this, right? No, I have no idea. Okay, dude, in the Japanese culture, and I'm just saying because I read about this somewhere, anytime a woman gets on the bus, apparently she's just violated by every guy that's on there. (laughs) Oh, my God. What are you talking about? Dude, seriously, listen. Japanese adult videos are the strangest fucking thing in the world. Listen, I guarantee you right now, take a minute and Google Japan and bus and see what comes up. I won't. I cannot do this. I think I think we've got Rob sufficiently awake for this, so we should probably bring bring Michael on. Maybe he'll be able to answer the the, the burning bus question. Wait, they're burning? No, no, no. Oh, they're not burning, but I don't know. Let me try throwing burning in the Google search. <laughs> burning Japanese bus. Whew. All right. All right, Michael, thanks for taking the transcontinental trip to be here on Booked. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, definitely kind of surprising we haven't had you on uh, uh, for this type of thing earlier. We've done some collaborations, but never just had you on to, to t- talk about what you do. But before we get to our burning questions, um, the bio that we read for you might be a little bit outdated, so we were going to put you on the spot and just have you uh, kind of tell our listeners in your own words what's going on with you and This Is Horror uh, right now. Okay, so 
Um, at the moment, we're just gearing up to release The Visible Filth by Nathan Belingrad, which you very kindly reviewed a few episodes back. Uh, this is horror originally started as Read Horror back in April 2011. This is Horror is a website that covers both film and fiction, but I mean, at the moment, we are certainly definitely gearing more towards the fiction side of things, and that's reflected in both the podcast episodes that we've been putting out, where we've been interviewing authors and even having some author-narrated fiction episodes, and indeed through This Is Horror Publishing, which started off as a chapbook publisher, so we put out uh, six of those, and then with Ray Cluley's Water for Drowning, moved into novellas, and then uh, The Visible Filth is a novella as well. Um, and so I guess that's that's mainly what's going on in terms of This Is Horror, I also work as a freelance writer and editor. And at the moment, I'm taking some time away from my uh, previous full-time job, which was in digital marketing, and actually teaching English in Japan. You are a really, really busy guy, because I know and we're going to talk maybe a little bit later about some other things you have going on. But Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with the decision to, to, to kind of build and create This Is Horror? Um, so as I said, it originally started as Read Horror, which was a blog. Um, and I, I did an English literature and creative writing degree at university. And so that uh, writing is always something I've been very passionate about. And I was speaking to one of my lecturers about horror literature and he was asking if there were many magazines out there that were covering it and apart from black static we couldn't really think of many outlets doing that and at that point it's like okay well i think i've discovered a little bit of a niche here and so through that conversation i decided to set up the Read Horror blog, where I was both reviewing uh, books and interviewing authors. And in fact, at that time, I was interviewing for Scream Magazine, who are a, a UK-based horror magazine. And so I'd already interviewed David Moody for Scream. So I guess he was my first, uh, yeah, my first author that I that I interviewed, and then from there interviewed people like Adam Neville, uh, Gary McMahon, and kind of spiraled from that point so that we also put on live horror fiction events as well. So, yeah, Gary McMahon, Adam Neville, and David Moody were the first event we put on. We put that on at the Warwick Arts Centre, and... Then a few months later, we we were fortunate enough to put on an event with China Mieville, which was a pretty big name to, to land, really, especially considering that we were certainly in our infancy at that point. Um, so really, it just was born from a passion for horror, a passion for writing, and a convenient gap in the market. <laughs> That's really cool. I think Rob, I think during his interviews, one of the questions is, hey, do you want to do a chat book? <laughs> is that right, Michael? <laughs> well, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite pan out like that. I mean, we, so with the chat book, so, so when we were read horror, I decided to take on uh, some columnists. So that meant that obviously there would be more regular content than just whatever I could single-handedly produce. And also I managed to get some people who were far more knowledgeable about the genre than I was. So one of the first columnists we ever had was Simon Marshall-Jones, who is the founder of Spectral Press. 
Now, they, they've been going, I believe, since 2010. And I guess apart from Nightjar Press, who are ran by Nicholas Royal, they were the only press at that time putting out these little chapbooks. And, I mean, I, I just thought that that would be a really cool idea to do something similar with This Is Horror. And then when I, when I get an idea, I do like a risk-reward analysis, look at how much it's going to cost, what the potential payoff, what the benefit could be. And, you know, in, on that occasion, the numbers stacked up. I mean, really, because it was just my own personal mon money. I think the question you need to ask yourself is how much are you prepared to lose? <laughs> You've got to be realistic, you know, particularly when you're starting out. Because I think the mistake that some some people make is they, they will go into this kind of thing almost assuming or needing to make money off it and that is a very very risky strategy i mean of course you're not going to continue publishing for for a number of books if you're not making money but you can't go in with the mindset that really you're going to get any of that money back that's actually a really good point so uh similarly actually there's a lot of similarities between uh booked and this is horror now that you're talking a little bit um, because we actually started in April of 2011, um, which is, it must be the month when everything cool was born. Um, yeah. <laughs> but as far as the chapbooks go, we did a uh, we did an anthology, which you were nice enough to review and nice enough to at least pretend to like. And uh, it turns out for us that, like, we, I don't think we were expecting it to be some runaway success and, like, make tons of money, kind of like you were talking about um but the unexpected kind of not it wasn't an unintended consequence, but like it, it essentially brought so much attention to the podcast and really strengthened that aspect of of what we do. Did you see anything similar? Did the chat book uh, uh, presence help you at all with like traffic to your website or or exposure to the podcast that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think when we first put out the chat book, it. It almost validated us as a horror entity. And I think certainly there was an increase in traffic and people just started to notice us more because it's one thing to be reviewing and interviewing and to be putting your passion out in that way, but to actually be putting money into it and to be providing authors with exposure and with these books that i mean these books if it wasn't for us publishing them then then you know maybe they wouldn't be in the world we we gave birth to them we put that art out there and so i think that does certainly validate you and of course there were more people who were interested because they wanted to see who who we were going to bring out next and at that point we'd already got some really good people involved in the writing of this is horror anyway we had sean hudson as a columnist which was again a pretty big coup i know that he polarizes a lot of people but whatever you think of him that was you know a pretty big horror name to have involved with this as horror and in fact we're looking to have him on the podcast uh hopefully in the next few months because he's got a new book coming out so that will go full circle and hopefully we can <laughs> give him some exposure too hey is that um god damn it is that the guy who wrote the he wrote a series right on vampires something might they get the same guy uh, I'm not sure you are thinking okay. of the same guy. He, I mean, he was very prolific in the 80s, was kind of the go-to 
pole horror author if such a thing as a go-to pole horror author were to exist he would be that guy um and his first novel at least i i think it was his first novel was called slugs and there was a really bad movie adaptation of it but that was the novel that kind of put him on the map all right i'm thinking of someone else and i don't know who who it is i'm thinking of I'm not sure if Olivia's. <laughs> All right, I have a very serious question about the chat books. I was looking just now at my copy of uh, The Elvis Room by Stephen Graham right. Jones. And um, mine is numbered number one of 100. So I guess my question right. is, did you actually, were you thoughtful enough to send me the number one copy? Or does, do all of them just have the number one at the front? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I can certainly assure you that each chat book has a different number. <laughs> now, given how terrible my memory is, I'd like to think that I was thoughtful enough. And I don't, yeah, Rob, Rob will appreciate that. But... <laughs> Just run with that then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's definitely what happened. <laughs> all right, see, there you go. That's all we had to do. <laughs> I don't know if you're noticing a theme, but really, uh, we. I, we, we try and talk about ourselves as much as possible in our <laughs> interviews of other people. Mm-hmm. So changing gears a little bit. So your your website and, and everything you do, your podcast and your chapbooks are, are seem to be very popular in the United States as well. And it's kind of, I guess, the mm-hmm. beauty of the Internet is that this content can be delivered internationally. But my question is, in your specific experience, do you think horror plays differently in the U.S. than it does in the U.K.? Uh, I've got to be careful to answer this. I think yes is the short answer. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, even though anything I say is going to be a sweeping generalization, I do think that in the UK, we're more prone to have a more subtle approach to horror. Like, we can be more restrained, but not always in a good way hmm this is a tough question to to answer on the spot to be fair i don't think he's trying to make you pick a favorite but <laughs> um more just kind i mean of... it because the problem is that as i start as i start answering i then in my head immediately exceptions to my rule turn up so <sighs> a tough one it 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 is. I mean, <laughs> I I think that maybe horror is more accepted. I think in the U.S. I think there's a wider audience for sure. Um, it seems to be a lot more niche within the U.K. Um, but getting mainstream uh, coverage in the U.S. Um, that's fair. I mean, the reason I ask is that I take in quite a bit, I think, at least for someone who lives in the U.S., a lot of British television. And I find that there, there are significant differences in, in the type of thing that becomes very popular in England versus, you know, something from the BBC versus something from, you know, like an ABC or Fox here. So I was wondering if that kind of went into the horror genre as well. I think some of what you're saying is right. I mean, subdued and maybe a little more intellectual. That's kind of how I see the TV programming. And I'll go ahead and say it because I make broad sweeping generalizations, <laughs> like about broad sweeping sometimes. But <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem was, so I'm, you know, I'm saying how it can be a little bit more subtle within the UK. But then, of course, you've got things like Bird Box, the novel of the year, and that's you know that that's not what you kind of imagine as your american over the top horror shall we say mm-hmm. anything i say will will turn into a generalization <laughs> is the problem here right. and we, you know we, we, with so many unique voices and unique writers it it's kind of very difficult to kind of come up with a rule and particularly without actually looking into and being able to substantiate it and you know i no one wants to hear it just come across as my 
my kind of not very well backed up opinion. <laughs> so uh, what Michael's saying is that he has uh, an equal opportunity love for all horror, I think. But uh, now, <laughs> now, um, now, see, that's me making a generalization about what you were saying, which we uh, apparently <laughs> we have no trouble just putting words in people's mouths. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, going into horror a little bit, because this is horror covers pretty much everything horror um, between, you know, uh, film, television, um books if you look at the awards you're even throwing in tattoo artists and stuff like that so mm. um is is there a a medium like uh that you prefer or like is a personal favorite for you like books movies that type of thing yeah i mean certainly in terms of the direction that i've been taking the website it has been very much geared more towards fiction so much so that at the start of the year, I I was thinking what what I was going to do about that. Was I going to actually make a transition to make this as horror more and more fiction focused to the point where everything else really is an afterthought and possibly is even phased out? Or was I going to go with solution number two, which is the one that I've gone with, and I've actually brought on someone to be in charge of the whole film and TV uh, aspect of This Is Horror. Because unfortunately, as many ideas as I have, and as much time as I seem to be able to put into these things, it is only finite and if i wasn't concentrating more on fiction personally then then i think the the quality of all the content would suffer so i'm going to be mainly heading up the fiction element of things whereas this other person who i've brought in is going to be doing the film and tv side so i'm hoping that that will work out pretty well for everyone involved because it should mean that the the film and the tv content is increased without the fiction side of thing of of things being compromised um and i think that fits into what we're doing with the podcast as well so the podcast has been going for a, a couple of years now but I think the first two years, I don't want to say it was an afterthought because that's making it <laughs> sound too too low, but we didn't put in as much as I would have liked us to have. And I think in part that was due to lining up I had schedules for me, Dan and John to record. But at the start of this year, I said, look, I want to focus on the podcast. That's something that I enjoy doing. That's something that I think can bring tremendous value to people listening, particularly the interview side of things. So I'm just going to make a decision that there is going to be a podcast at least twice a month because that's one of the things I want to focus on for 2015. And we're already into March, and we have hugely exceeded that target because we put out a podcast every single week. It's almost in writing that target in creating that goal and committing it to paper, it becomes a reality and also, if you commit it to Facebook or social media, <laughs> then it gives you more incentive for it to become a reality because you don't want to look like somebody who said they were going to do something and then didn't. Oh, <clears throat> let me tell you, just get people to start giving you money. Then you feel like you're responsible to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I guess thinking of that and thinking about some of your recent um, um, guest appearances and topics and stuff, very fiction focused, like you were talking about, but um, Mm. do you have um, any plans or are you thinking about the idea of finding people from like 
other mediums like like uh, like film or anything to to get onto the podcast as well? Yeah, I mean, so the so the very first interview that I ran was, of course, with Jennifer Lynch after she just put out the film Chained, um, and there are people that I would like to and have been speaking about having on the This Is Horror podcast. So we will look at bringing people on who are in the film business. But I have a feeling that the conversations will still be focused towards creating. Um, So conversations in terms of the writing and putting the film together. But I think that will... That will provide a nice contrast to um, to the fiction interviews, just because it's it's another side of writing. And quite often, if you're interested in writing and in creating generally, then you are interested in these different mediums. So you you're not like, oh no, I only listen to to podcasts about people who write books if you write a screenplay i'm not interested in that so i i think there'll be a lot of crossover appeal really i was just asking if you're going to have the saska twins on (laughs) i'm just kidding well that well well i didn't want to say anything (laughs) on air and commit to it but i have like I'm, i'm not even joking i have been speaking to them and they want to come on the podcast nice but uh, I, yeah, good. That's a good like idea. It, so there's a few people that I've been speaking with. I've also been looking at getting a couple of the people involved in Starry Eyes on because I think that's a fantastic film. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, I, I, I guess that comes back to what I was saying about committing these ideas into the world. Like if I, if I tell you right we're looking at having the Soska sisters on the podcast. Now I've got to <laughs> make sure that that happens soon because <laughs> I'm going to look like an idiot if it doesn't happen. Which it will. You can put that in the podcast if you want. <laughs> That's going in, yeah. That's definitely going in. Okay. <laughs> Rob, maybe we need to do more of that because Rob and I like refuse to talk about what we're even doing next week sometimes. We're just like, I don't know. So we don't know. Something. And then we get Michael Wilson on. That's right. Um, so. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> so um, in talking about um, the, the direction of the website, let's talk a little bit about the awards. So here's okay. my, my first question about the awards. Is there any one entity that's won an award all three years of the This Is Horror Awards? Actually, there's been four years of This Is Horror Awards. Oh, shit. Rob? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I was aware of that. Uh, God I damn I, it! I didn't want to hurt your feelings, Lobius. But 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 this is the saver for you, is that in 2011 we hadn't introduced a podcast of the year award, <laughs> so mm. you know. <laughs> but I I I do think there's someone who's won all four years. Oh, see, this is the danger of asking these kinds of questions, mm-hmm. Livius. You're, you're I'm going to go with it's got to be Stephen Graham Jones. <laughs> that that that's who I'm thinking. I've just got to check if he won something in 2011. He didn't. Oh no. Right, <laughs> so, so we're tied with Stephen Graham. Yeah. Jones. yeah. That's yeah. fine. I can handle a tie with uh, someone so good. Yep. If we're tied with yeah, Stephen so Graham okay. Jones, it means we're doing something right. <laughs> Livius, did you have a legit question about the awards? Yes, 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 I I do. Of course I do. It seems that, um, and the way the, so for anybody who's not aware, you're dead to me because that means you didn't go and vote for us um, in the past three years. Um, But basically it's a listener, um, reader nominated um, awards that then are voted on by listeners, uh, you know, of, of the This Is Horror podcast, readers of, of the website. Um, it seems that especially this year and in some cases last year, and I don't really honestly remember from three years ago, that you're lined up. I mean, some of the, the, the picks are really lined up with, I mean, in this case, fuck, like the Bram Stoker Awards. So is it, you know, how do I how do I say this? The content is obviously there, but it seems like your 
your listenership, your readership is really kind of in tune with some of the bigger awards. I mean, do you find that to be the case? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. So I, I did an interview, a written interview with Thought Catalog a couple of days back. And I went into some detail in terms of how the award list is drawn up. So the first stage is to have public nominations. So at that point, you can nominate whatever you want. It's anything goes for the categories, um, you know, provided that it was released in the time frame. And then after, after the public nominations, so you've got the long list drawn up, then this is horror staff whittle it down to a short list and they take into account the weighting of the reader votes and then at that point the public vote on the short list so for example in, in a category the top five it might not necessarily be you know the top five that the listeners nominated but generally it's pretty damn close does that was, was that clear enough in in explaining the process definitely i have a i have a very <laughs> very personal question for you have you ever been personally disappointed by the result of one of the awards <laughs> i predicted that you might ask this question <laughs> yeah so i think the the line that i decided i would go with is that because the public get to vote, you know, that that is up to them. So I I just want to create a kind of fair <laughs> voting system, a fair fair award. So and to be honest, you can't really be very disappointed because you you know, the short list is made up of five in each category. At that point, they are five of the best. So it if the result comes out in a way that I wouldn't have personally put it, that's just because my opinion is a little bit different, but it doesn't ever mean that you've got, you know, like a bad novel or a bad film, or dare I even suggest a bad podcast of the year. All it would mean is perhaps in my personal opinion, I would have chose a different one. But Actually, normally it comes comes out pretty, pretty much in line with how I would have gone for it anyway. So I know that that's a a bit of a a politician style answer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I guess. All right. This is a little bit off topic, but um, did you take dance lessons in school? <laughs> <laughs> You're dancing around these questions. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I I've learned two I've learned two things. First, Michael Wilson is quite the diplomat. <laughs> and the second thing I've learned is that his vote doesn't carry 51 percent like ours does in anything we do. <laughs> um, it's cool. Everyone voted, but as majority shareholders, <laughs> at least as long as there's been a podcast of the year category, I think it's been exactly how it was supposed to be. That's what I'm going to say. Because when we were beaten by Tales to Terrify, you got to give it up, Lauren Santoro. That was a hell of a man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he he had a voice like Vincent Price. Yeah. That's very difficult to compete with. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the thing, too, is that um, listening to him, like, I don't necessarily think that Rob and I were born to be podcasters, um, Santoro was definitely born to, to the audio medium. I think that he had the perfect voice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know we've said this in conversations before, but also the perfect voice for horror. I yeah. mean, a brilliant yeah. talent. So well, that went really sad all of really a sudden. Somber, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to, I don't think Rob actually was going to ask this question. Were you going to ask this next question? No, Can I ask totally it? Totally a joke. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So when Rob and I are sharing a document, sometimes questions go in that are more just to entertain one another than what we're right. going to ask the guests. So this one says, have you ever read the triple X title werewolf in the boardroom? No. No. Okay. Well, there you go. I think you guys should review that on, on the next, this is horror podcast. 
So the, the triple X title were, werewolf in the boardroom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. I mean that that's not an okay. We're gonna review it because I don't want <laughs> Dan to come after me. Fucking um, hell! Two werewolves, one very horny woman. <laughs> <laughs> See, you have to read this now. And the, all right, the backstory behind that was, in the in the last episode, we were talking about um, a legitimate book called Triple X Seamus, which was like a yeah yeah. Um, you, it sounds like you've heard of it. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, and Broken it, River. Yeah, and it got taken off of Amazon. So we spent a couple minutes on the the legitimate part of the episode, and then there's a like an eight minute. Um, kind of off the record dialogue between Livius and I that I put at the end of the episode where we're just going through Amazon looking at different triple X book titles and um, this was the one that was closest to to subject matter that I thought that you would uh, be interested in so that's why I jokingly just put it in there I just I wanted to try and get Livius to laugh while you were talking yeah <laughs> he held it together but it then he turned it around on me by actually asking you the question I do have a question, though, I remembered uh, regarding chat books. I know this is going back a little bit, um, and I'm just too okay. lazy to I'm too lazy to move it back into the proper part of the, the interview. Um, am I remembering wrong, or was there a time where you were considering stopping doing the chat books? And, and the follow-up to that is going to be, if that was ever a thought, please never stop the chat books. <laughs> well, well, so the thing with the chat books, as I said that with with the eighth release which is in fact the visible filth um that we would stop the subscription element so you could subscribe and get oh, okay. each each chat book so you, you could get uh, four chat books in a year for 20 pounds um, including the shipping if you're in the uk uh, unfortunately, shipping is too expensive in the U.S. for that to be possible. Um, but I decided to put a stop to that and a, to put a stop to the actual chat book format, which is, which, which I mean, you, you may have noticed that uh, Water for Drowning and The Visible Filth were a little longer than all the chat books that came before. Mm -hmm. Um so that we could concentrate more on novellas to also look into putting out novels um, and other, other formats, so quite possibly collections, quite possibly an anthology. Um, really, I just thought by dedicating to a quarterly chat book, it was making things more restrictive than I would like them to be going forward. Um, so I, I mean, at the moment, putting something out every quarter seems to be working reasonably well. Um, but I, I'd like the opportunity to either be able to put things out more frequently or, or, or more infrequently, or to be able to just um put out a novel one month then put out a collection the next maybe put out a non-fiction book so it just seemed like a good way to go and particularly as the novellas seem to be working out for us better than than the chat books anyway and i said i said to you that when we first released the uh, Joe and Me chat book by David Moody, the first one, that there was that air of legitimacy that it gave This Is Horror. And I do feel making the jump from limited edition chat books to mass market novellas, which we did with Water for Drowning, has added another air of legitimacy. So it, it just seems like a step in the right direction. But no, we won't stop publishing fiction so don't worry about that see rob that goes back to what you said about when people start throwing money at you 
you're kind of committed to doing it. You're, and he was like, yeah, oh, we yeah. just we weren't doing the subscription anymore because, fuck, we had to put out four checkbooks a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I heard it. <laughs> hey, I have I have a, a somewhat unrelated um, follow-up to that. I guess it's not even a question, but I, I, this occurred to me probably three weeks ago as I was ordering some stuff from China. Come the Chinese can ship stuff over to the United States for like three cents, I think is what shipping was. But from right. the UK, it's like forty dollars. <laughs> yeah, but do the Chinese have the Royal Mail? No, that, no, they don't. Is... Yeah, I don't. But seriously, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was like, literally, I can order like a TV from China, pay like twelve dollars, and it's like thirty-five cents for shipping. So I mean, obviously, a far more sensible answer, but not as exciting. Is that I'm sure that it comes down to economies of scale and that this Chinese uh, TV company it has like this great deal with some sort of delivery well, what organization, they do is... some oh. distribution deal. And so, you know, they're guaranteeing a certain amount of units. Yeah, well, I mean, what it comes down to. to <laughs> I looked into it a little bit. Shipping from China is really weird because they, they that's why they're like, oh, it'll take like four weeks. What they do is they just wait until a boat fills up. So literally, if you're the first package on that boat, you can wait five, six weeks sometimes. And then they don't send that boat until it's absolutely full. So I think that's part of the, the, the reason is that if I order something from the UK, it'll likely get here in a week. If I yeah. order something from China... It, it literally one of the last things I ordered took seven weeks to get here. So. I think re really what's happening is Livius is requesting that you move to China. <laughs> yeah, because if you that's did that, shipping would be really cheap. Then we'd pay little to nothing on shipping, mm -hmm. and that's really what we care about. Yep. Well, I guess now that I'm in Japan, it's not too big a move now. Just uh, yeah, just, yeah. Oh, go wait, on over to China. Just get on a we bus. We had another question. Yeah, how many buses will it take you to get to Bali? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many women will be violated on that trip? Not by you. Not by you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in. I was like, oh no! I just accused him of violating women on buses. A typical interview, I'd say. <laughs> yep, that's right. All right, moving, <laughs> moving on back to normal stuff. So the future of This Is Horror as, a, as an entity, where, where do you see it going? Where would you like to see it head? Um, I mean, so in terms of, of the podcast, I want to continue putting out weekly content. Um, I want to... I'd really like to get some people like... Chuck Paolo Nick and Brett Easton Ellis and Jack Ketchum and there's some of these authors that I grew up reading and you know I'm a big fan of I'd really like to get them on the podcast so you know I'm, I'm just looking at expanding in terms of the interviews that we're going to be putting out um, in terms of the fiction side of things, it's inevitable that we will be uh, putting out novels. Now, I don't think that we're going to drop publishing novellas. Actually, at the moment, there seems to be quite a revival of novella publishing. Now, of course, it was Stephen King who said that he felt that was the ideal form for horror fiction anyway. Um but, yeah, I just think growing the listenership for the podcast, increasing the output of books, and just becoming a more complete resource for horror. I mean, I'd love to be doing, doing this, doing things for this as horror full-time, and I am looking at how that could become a possibility or how that coupled with freelance work and my own writing could be a reality. Um, but at the moment, I think it's just about growing what we already have. And I think now that we're going to have someone on board to take care of the film side of things, 
that's going to be great as well. And I think there'll be a lot of of benefit. And of course, if the film side of things grows in terms of the actual website, then we can see more people involved in film on the podcast too. So hopefully that answers your question. I, I can say with, with the awards as well, um, so at the moment, to date, we've been, if, if you win an award, then you get a, a This Is Horror certificate. And I'm looking into other options and how we can make the awards a bigger occasion. So that's something on the horizon for the future as well. So I guess it's a case of watch this space and see what happens. <laughs> Well, I will say there's a place on my wall for the third certificate, so can you at least stick to certificates for this year? Oh, yeah, that's that's been designed. That's, uh, <laughs> that's ready. <laughs> it would be devastating if you go to a different medium, and I'm like, they don't all go in the same place. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> gutting. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, I wanted to give you an opportunity, because I believe you're involved in another endeavor um, that's not necessarily horror related. I'll give you an opportunity to mention that. Yes, so no doubt you're talking about my Paleo Minds website. So I run a website called Paleo Minds. So Paleo is a lifestyle that encompasses fitness and diet. I mean, a lot of people talk about the paleo diet which is certainly the way that i was introduced to it and so it's also known as the caveman diet because effectively it dates back to paleolithic times and the idea behind it is that you don't eat processed foods and grains and so effectively it's meat fish vegetables fruit nuts so a real back to basics diet and so the way that i discovered paleo was hmm, i think it was about four years ago now so it actually tied into around about when i was starting things with this is horror i had dehabilitating arthritis was on 10 prescription drugs a day, including a weekly injection of mefotrexate, which is an anti-cancer drug, and would would be wheelchair-bound now if I hadn't made a change. And so I could barely walk. Some days it was very difficult to get out of bed, and that was even with all the pharmaceuticals that I was taking. So I was reading up on different ways that I might be able to alleviate the pain and looking into different diets. I started a vegan diet at first um, because there were people who, you know, said that they got a lot of health benefits out of that, but that didn't work out too well for me and then when I was googling uh, vegan protein sources I somehow stumbled upon this website called Mark's Daily Apple which is a paleo website read about paleo the benefits that some people had had in terms of it uh, reversing or putting into remission autoimmune conditions and decided that I'd give it a go for 30 days, strictly follow it. And at the end of that period, I was off all of the medication and able to walk properly. Wow. Um, I mean, I should probably preface that by saying that the, the you know, the doctors didn't, advised that I was off the, that I came off the medication, but I, like, I can be pretty stubborn, and if I'm, I, I, because I was taking so much each day, 
I would only take a tablet when I absolutely needed to. Unfortunately, that came in at 10 times a day at its worst. But it just very quickly got better. And, and yes, yeah, so by the end of the month, I wasn't taking any medication. And um, so that was four years ago. And at the end of last year, I mean, it, it had been on my mind for quite some time that I wanted to look at how I could get more involved in paleo in the nutrition and the fitness side of things. And so I decided that I would set up a website. So I've, I've got a, a podcast. It's not quite as frequent as the This Is Horror one. I'm still finding my feet with it. Um, and finding my feet in terms of the, the paleo community. Um, and then it's also got written interviews and some features. And I'm, I'm just trying to give back and sp spread awareness because this is something that benefited me so much that I feel that it's a message that, that I want to spread and, you know, at least make people aware of it. Um, I mean, if you're in pain every day, then it's an easier sell than if you don't have any any kind of symptoms like that at the moment. Um, but I know quite a few people who, you know, I've, I've told them my story and then they've given paleo a go and they've all experienced benefits from it. Um, you know, some of them have stuck with it as a as a lifestyle choice, as a long-term thing. Others have taken elements from it. I mean, I think typically the thing that a lot of people will take is they'll they'll eliminate the processed food like bread, or they they will at the very least cut back on it quite dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's the other project that I've got on the go. And I'm also taking a, a nutrition qualification as well, because I feel if I'm going to talk about it, it's important to have some credentials to back to back up what I'm saying. Wait a minute. <laughs> you mean <laughs> this is that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me, because Livius and I talk as if we are authorities on many things, but we never are. So um I don't know. I never thought of that before. You just blew my mind. I, I think, <laughs> I think because, I mean, these are big claims that I'm making, and obviously, I've got the anecdotal evidence to back it up. But I'd like to also be able to bring, you know, the hard science for those who would like to hear it. I think that, and. And also, I mean, the, the qualification, I think an, an, another motivator is certainly that I want to improve upon my knowledge and to understand the the inner workings of it more, because sometimes people can can ask me questions about paleo that I, I don't quite have the depth of knowledge to answer it as effectively as I would like to. So in studying it and taking a qualification that's certainly helping with that side of things uh rob do you feel a little insignificant with what we do now michael's out there trying to like save <laughs> lives and we're like uh, we're gonna review some porn next time yeah. book. <laughs> we're like i'm gonna read another book this week <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah all right great job though michael I, that's I think, that's very impressive i think making people aware of all these XXX titles is an equally important function to the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Werewolf in the Boardroom isn't getting the, the attention it deserves. Right. <laughs> Excellent work, Michael. Um, I didn't know that was the story behind. I thought you had just suddenly become, um, you know, rabidly obsessed with paleo. So um, it's great to hear that, that story. I'm sorry that you had to suffer to get to this point, but um, it's a really good story. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. So, Michael, before we go, I know we talked about a ton of stuff, but is there anything you'd really like to talk about that maybe we haven't mentioned so far? 
So the next This Is Horror release is The Visible Filth by Nathan Belingrad. And if you haven't checked out any of the publications that we've put up, then that would be an excellent place to start. The guys that booked reviewed it a few episodes back, so give that a listen. And it's also had praise from so many respected people within uh, the community. So we've had great reviews from Lit Reactor, from Dread Central, Stephen Graham Jones absolutely loved it, um, as did Richard Thomas, who you may have heard on our podcast <laughs> in the last three episodes. Um, but yeah, you can go over to the This Is Horror website, thisishorror.co.uk, and pre-order that. And it will be available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook format by the end of the month. And if you really like that and want more This Is Horror books, then there's another seven that you can buy. So that will keep you busy for a bit. For the record, as far as chat books go, uh, the the visible filth we talked about that in episode two thirty eight, but uh, we've reviewed that was the sixth of the chat books. Uh, or that was the sixth chat book we reviewed, and if my memory serves, we've given five stars to all of them. So um, they're definitely all worthwhile reads. Yeah, like I've been very very pleased with the feedback and the reviews that that every single release we put out has got. I mean, the the positive response has been overwhelming. And so, obviously, with each commission, I'm very careful to keep up that quality. Yeah, I think there's always a worry when you've consistently received excellent praise that you, you know, you're going to get. You might put something out where you you've messed up a bit and people don't respond to it as well. But, you know, then if that happens, then as I put on Twitter the other day, just react as Seth Godin would and say, well, then that wasn't for you because that's the best reaction to a negative review because you can't please everyone. All right, Michael, thanks so much for the time and uh, for working with our weird, you know, two-way intercontinental scheduling to make this happen. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to come on the show. And, I mean, it's always great connecting with you guys and recording episodes. And, you know, I hope to do it again in the future sometime. So thank you very much. All right, once more, big thank you to Michael Wilson, the proprietor, I guess you could call him, from This Is Horror. It was very good to have him on. Yeah, I don't know, man. Here's the thing. So he dodged every important question we asked. Do you know how many buses it takes to get to Bali? Because you notice he didn't answer, right? <laughs> this guy. God, he he needs to be on our team up in Minnesota. Yes, yes, he does. Oh, oh, yeah, you like that one, don't you? That was perfect um i kid michael a lot and frequently but we i love that guy so it's it's so nice to get he's he's kind of like a breath of fresh air around here because he actually cares about like what other people think and stuff so yeah he, he reminds us what humanity is really like and, and yeah like yeah what we, what in a, imagined in, it to be yeah in another world if you and i were raised differently we could be michael wilson yeah that's so. true but we're not no, 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 <laughs> we're definitely not. So, yep. That's why we're us. That's why we're doing this. So, yep. so yeah, great interview. Um, but would you like to tell listeners? Because we actually know what's coming up next. We, we've kind of reworked our little scheduling situation, and we know what we're reviewing. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Um, the next episode kind of, in a way, doesn't break our resolution to not read short story collections because, uh, really, we're going to be reading... What is it? it's a collection of novellas, right? Correct. Um, the it's the end and all beginnings by John F. D. Taff. Mm -hmm. And uh, if everything works out and the stars align, we're going to try and do it where we read the book, we talk about the book with Josh Mallerman if we can get him on, and hopefully also bring on John F. D. Taff to talk a little bit about the book and. Um, Essentially, it would be a gigantic This Is Horror Awards 
uh, either winner or runner-up kind of uh, collaboration, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I like that you took Michael's words to heart and committed it to words so that we kind of have to do it. <laughs> we now, have no so. choice is going to happen. Yep, I don't know if that actually binds other people, you know, through contract when we say it but hopefully that's that's the case and uh, yeah i'm imagining wherever mallerman is right now he just kind of went Duh? yeah he's like what like, who I oh feel like... i kind of remember those guys yeah <laughs> hey mallerman remember we knew you before you got big and won uh, novel of the year on this is horror that's right um, but yeah, that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of booked until next week i'm livia snudden and i'm rob olson keep reading Keep reading Werewolf in the Boardroom. <laughs> it's, it's so thick. How long is it? <laughs> is, is, do you think It's So Thick could be nominated as horror? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so so I, I must have listened to that episode because I remember. <laughs> I remember It's So Thick. <laughs> Sorry, I've got I've got I've got Rob on uh, on the internet looking at uh, Japanese bus rape porn vids. So, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so. uh, Did you go to in Japan with your smartphone? You have to have the camera clicker noise because there were too many people on public transport <laughs> taking up skirt photographs. <laughs> so my iPhone. You cannot disable the camera noise because they just had to legislate that they built that in to all phones in Japan. <laughs> oh, God. There you go. You know what? But that's like, if the same thing happened in America, we'd be like, well, stop wearing skirts. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> because, you know. <laughs> That would be the American solution is like, well, obviously the problem is it's too easy to take pictures of what's under the skirts. Yep. I, I just can't believe that Japanese bus pornography and Indonesian hostages or whatever it was isn't forming part of the show. <laughs> <laughs>